Welcome to the Fish House Nation podcast presented by Catch Cover, your home for ice fishing news, tips, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Chris Larson. Hello and welcome to the Fish House Nation podcast. It's May 1st, summer is right around the corner, and we'll be showcasing off-season topics in the coming weeks. But today is another best of show. These are some of my favorite ice fishing tips from the past seven months of shows. Hopefully, these tips will help you catch more fish next season. We talked to Joel Nelson about dead sticking for walleyes back on episode 15. Nelson says dead sticking is a great way to ice more walleyes, especially early in the shallows. You know, early ice, anywhere you're fishing, especially a place like Mille Lacs when it's ultra clear, you can't be creeping. You can't be running. You, a lot of times, uh, even just going down to one knee, crunching all that snow and ice, if they're in seven feet of water right below you, the movement, the sound, I mean, it travels like crazy down there. So what we were seeing is all of your dead rods, the furthest ones away, were the only ones going off. And it was by no accident, in my opinion. Sure. Those fish, ultra spooky, did not like that movement. And you even had to be careful once the dead rods went off to kind of shuffle your way up there real nice and easy. You couldn't run up and slide and grab the rod holder. They dropped the bait and they were gone. So the dead rod approach, um, I feel, gives you that data, gives you that information, but also allows you to fish pretty stealthily. And I think they're a little bit more dependable than your average tip-up. Speaking of tip-ups, Randon Olson runs Lockjaw Guide Service in Ottertail County, Minnesota, Back on episode 17, we discussed fishing with tip-ups with Randon Olson. A lot of anglers use a set-it-and-forget-it approach to tip-ups, but Olson says if you want to catch more fish, actively fishing tip-ups is the way to go. Tip-ups should be treated just like a jigging rod, so to speak. Um, you want to be, any areas that you're looking to cover some water on, before you really start going, go out there and, and drill a, a good number of holes, 10, 15, 20 holes, and don't, don't be afraid to move that tip up every 15, 20 minutes. You know, kind of work an area, and you'll start to see where you're starting to get bites. And uh, the nice thing is with tip-ups, if you've got a couple guys, that's a few extra lines, you can spread those tip-ups out, and, and you can really pinpoint what those fish are doing on that structure pretty quickly by just moving tip-ups around and seeing where, they're, where the fish want to go. Weeds are a big deal with northerns, um, and one overlooked thing with northerns is sand flats. So if you can find a big feeding shelf that's got a weed bed closer to the brake line and a big sand flat up shallow, uh, those sand flats are cruising areas for those pike all day long. You talk to any of the guys that do a lot of spearing and stuff, you know, they're seeing a, a multitude of fish, even big walleyes up in four to six feet of water in the winter. And that's all those fish do is they just cruise that sand and then they got the weed bed right next to there that's usually holding the bait fish and minnows and, and prairie species. Tom Boley is one of the most popular ice fishing YouTubers on the internet, but he's not just a video guy. Boley guides in the Hayward, Wisconsin area, and when it comes to chasing panfish, he's a big believer in using plastics instead of live bait. Yeah, I very rarely use live bait, um, especially over the basin, very rarely. Some, I mean, we'll do some dead sticking, some tip-down stuff, uh, which is effective, but a lot of times, you know, if they're biting jigs, which they pretty much always are, it's almost quicker just to just to do the jig thing unless you have very finicky fish. The weed thing, um, you can go back and forth there a little bit more from live bait to plastics. 
I have a lot of confidence in plastics. That's pretty much always what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, a lot of times in these weed scenarios, you have a lot of very small bluegills around, which unless you can decipher them on the graph or the underwater camera and just kind of pull the bait away from those fish, you just go through too many waxies a lot of times. What are some of the other advantages that you found with plastics? Yeah, you can catch a million fish on one. Uh, re-rigging takes way less time. Um, you know, you catch fish, pop the jig out, and you're right back down, um, which is great, especially if you're fishing deep water, like a uh, basin bite. And just the ability to kind of do different stuff with it. I mean, you can go from anything that looks like a wax worm on there, um, or you can go up to like a longer, thinner profile plastic, which makes it look more like a minnow when you kind of walk that jig. So that's kind of the biggest things in my mind that, you know, has really made plastics killer in the last probably six, seven years now. Episode 21 was one of our most popular shows. Troy, Mr. Bluegill Peterson, met up with the Fish House Nation podcast at the St. Paul Ice Show to discuss fishing for trophy bluegills. Bluegills are common in many lakes, but finding the truly special fish has become increasingly difficult. Peterson laid out his strategy for finding the best lakes for big bluegills. You got to have food. You have to have a good food source. Um, and with a good food source means usually good weeds, um, whether it be a coontail or a cabbage, um, something that, you know, is going to be able to protect, um, you know, the forage base and something, you know, lakes that have a lot of plankton, um, a lot of clear lakes, you know, deep, clear, um, good, tall, green weeds, uh, you know, dependent on the type of the weed, it really doesn't make a difference. But uh, those are some of the biggest characteristics that you need to have to, in order to get big bluegills. After that, you need to have a good predator source. You have to have a lake that's got um, a either good bass or a good northern pike or muskie, whatever. Um, you need a big predator fish in there to be able to eat, you know, some of the smaller, medium size and um, you know, there has to be that balance. And uh, if you don't have that balance, typically when you go to a lake and you find a bunch of small panfish, bluegills, crappies, perch, whatever it may be, and guys are fishing tip-ups and you know what, they're catching hammer handle pike or small bass too, um, that tells me that that lake just doesn't have big fish. Um, there might be one or two here and there, but it's not a big fish lake. When we find a lake that's got big bluegills, guess what? We're finding 40-inch pike. We're finding six, eight-pound largemouth. Uh, we're finding, you know, 10-pound walleyes. Um, when you have a lake that is fertile and grows big fish, it's going to grow big fish across all species. Um, and you find that by, again, looking at, you know, the creel studies and surveys that these, you know, the DNRs put out um, and, uh, you know, researching and talking to bait shops and and whatnot is figuring out where some of these bigger fish are coming from and you know then i'll start doing my homework myself once i get out there al escobedo and mario pierzakelli are tournament anglers from the east side of the minneapolis st paul metro area they fish in the minnesota made series and one of the lakes minnesota made took them to this year was clearwater lake this lake is known for large panfish and for having a tough bite The duo prefers to fish in shallow weeds, but when the going gets tough, sometimes they find themselves fishing deep basins. Bigger baits fishing more aggressively in deeper water because you can call the fish in from so much 
further away so that bigger presentation number one is is generally going to attract some of the bigger fish and it just gives you more of a presence in that as mario said needle in the haystack the vast basin of these lakes then if you do happen to find them in the basin try to keep like a line down there like if you're going don't give them the chance to move off like a lot of times like when a hole's hot you know like al and i have had a hole that's so good where one's not as great two feet away where we are literally pulling a fish out he's dropping his line i'm taking it off by the time he's pulling one up i'm dropping back down it seems kind of ridiculous but when they're going they're going and you just got to stay with them and as soon as you kind of leave that hole blank for a couple you know 30 seconds that school might lose interest and on a lake like that they could be 50 yards yeah. away and a blink of an eye and yeah. now you got to try and find them again where if you when you find them you got to keep them going as quick as you can i mean there's situations where we'll like mario said where um we'll fish the same hole just to keep that hole active there's other situations where we if we got a couple different holes that are hot we'll have three four five rods laying next to us yeah with very similar presentations that I pull up a fish on this rod and drop it you set it down and drop the next yeah. rod down I mean obviously if you pull it up and it's not the quality of keeping fish um, you got to keep it alive so you're gonna you know let it go right away or whatever but um, the big thing is once you get on those schools is just to keep them active and keep them hungry and keep your bait down there on top of them on episode 23, Josh Clausen joined the Fish House Nation podcast to discuss how recreational anglers can use tournament tactics to catch more fish. Clausen is a former tournament angler and a member of Fish Addictions TV. If fishing is tough on a particular day, Clausen utilizes what he calls the rule of three until he can dial in a pattern. This actually comes from way back in the day, watching in Fisherman as a little kid on Saturday mornings, and I, I believe it's Doug Stangy. Um, that's there was something about three as a pattern, and I've turned it into the rule the rule of three. Um, if I got if if you get, it's taking to develop a pattern. If you get if you catch three fish on the same bait doing the same thing, that's a pattern. So if you're fishing, I'm going to just use bluegills or panfish in general as, a, as the scenario here because you get so much more feedback um, through your electronics. You have so many more encounters with fish. Um, it's harder to do on a night bite, uh, a daylight transition bite for walleyes on a piece of structure because you only get so many shots mm -hmm. to where bluegills, it's, it can be all day long. So if, you're, um, if you get rejected three times, change. If you, and when I say change, first I'm gonna change my jigging cadence. So I get rejected by a fish three times on the same jigging cadence with the same plastic, the same bait. If that, then I'm gonna change my jigging cadence three different times. And if I still get rejected three times on each of those three different jigging cadences, I'm going to switch baits. Um, it could be, you generally it's color first um, and you, everyone's got their confidence baits. Mm -hmm. I like a horizontal tungsten with a flat plastic that pushes a lot of water and has a lot of movement with it. Maybe some appendages up front to give it more of that buggy look. And if you get rejected on three different color com combinations by running through that whole scenario, um, then you change to a different shape or a different profile plastic, something that's pushing water differently. Maybe it's a vertical plastic, maybe it's a, a horizontal plastic on a vertical jig, which we call vertizontal, um, just to give it a different look. And for the most part, you, you're not gonna need to run through that many scenarios. It sounds like a lengthy process to really dial it in, mm -hmm. but once you catch a fish on 
that color combination, that jig and cadence combination, if you can repeat that three times, now you got a pattern, so now it's repeatable. So that's kind of an explanation on what I call the rule of three. Back on episode six, we talked to Todd Heitkamp. Heitkamp owns and operates Dakota Angler, a leading tackle and bait shop in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. But his day job is as a meteorologist for the National Weather Service. Everyone knows weather can make a big impact on angler success, but we don't often use weather information to our advantage. All the latest electronics that we have, depth finders, uh, you name it, uh, we, we can uh, find where the fish are located. We can uh, you know, use the latest baits and uh, lures to try to attract them, but whether or not they get to, to bite. So, uh, you know, we, we can't control everything. And one of the things that we can't control is the weather. And so we need to learn how uh, to interpret the weather, how we can use the weather to our, our advantage. Uh, and then also uh, realize that uh, we're going to have to change our tactics based upon the weather. Most of us have jobs, families, and other responsibilities. Being able to drop everything and only fish when the time is right is going to be difficult for most. But a little information can go a long way. you got to go when you can, uh, when you can go. Uh, you don't uh, want to let the weather dictate it. But uh, things that you can look for are something as easy as the wind direction. If the wind is out of the south, that means the pressure is going to be falling and not, that means uh, the fish will be on the prowl looking for food and uh, they'll actually come to you uh, where you don't have to go out looking for them. But when the wind's out of the north uh, and you got those clear sunny days and the wind isn't hardly blowing, those are those high pressure days, uh, that's when the, wind, uh, the fishing is going to be a little bit tougher because the pressure is the highest and so you need to be a little bit more active and go kamikaze fishing, so to speak, as far as drilling holes. Uh, so again, just by paying attention to the wind direction will tell you what's actually going to happen as far as uh, your method of uh, fishing uh, and trying to find those active fish. I hope you enjoyed this look back at some of the best ice fishing tips from the show so far. Next week, we'll start some off-season topics. Have a great week. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to the Fish House Nation podcast presented by Catch Cover. For more ice fishing content, visit our blog at catchcover.com.